Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Monday, November 2nd here in New York City. Hope everyone is doing well, staying safe and healthy as the battle against the coronavirus rages on. Coming up today on the podcast is a mid-season college football special with my good friend Max Sass. He is a Buckeyes diehard fan, uh, which you'll figure out on the podcast when he talks about his his team, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Really fun conversation we get into. It. We, we, we went pretty long, about 80 minutes, uh, just because it was so much fun talking to him. But all things college football, it's been a it's been a really interesting college football season. There's so much to talk about, and just how and just how the whole season is unfolding. College football is the sport of chaos, the sport of uncertainty, and you mix in a global pandemic, and it just adds so much more uncertainty and just so much more to talk about. So, really, really fun conversation. Obviously, if you're listening to this Tuesday morning, uh, it's obviously election day, last day of voting. If you're listening to this and you haven't voted yet. You know, couldn't encourage you more to to go out and vote your civic duty. Uh, it's it's just so important. No matter who you vote for, just every race matters, and uh, every election counts, and every vote matters. Every vote truly matters. So, uh, without further ado, I'm gonna hit the music, and when we come back, is my conversation from earlier today with Max S. Joining me now on the phone for the midseason, even though the Pac-12 is starting this week, this is the midseason college football update megapod. We're going to hit on all things. It's my good friend, Coach Max Sass, also Ohio State superfan. The Buckeyes have been looking pretty, pretty good so far, and so I know that he's in a good mood after their big win against Penn State this past weekend. Coach Sass, how's it going? It's going great, Dave. I... Um... Really enjoyed watching the Ohio State-Penn State game on Saturday night. Um, it's, you know, it was fun watching Clemson, uh, BC in the first half. I know we'll touch on all these things later, mm-hmm. but it's just been great to have college football back. And uh, it'll be nice to have some Pac-12 after dark uh, coming back now, too, to fall asleep to. 100%, because, you know, the viewing experience, is, as we're, we're going to hit on that, but it's, you know, the games start at, noon east coast time where where we are and the networks do a pretty good job at pacing the day a lot better than the nfl is doing probably because they're not as locked into their tv contract slots right but there's about two or three pretty good games at the at 12 o'clock then the three and four o'clock and then there's always the prime time game at night but you know sometimes the prime time game can be a letdown especially early on when it was really just the acc playing and and the and the sec now with the Pac-12 being back, just nice to have a, you know, nine o'clock kickoff time East Coast time in case that prime time game is a bit of a snooze or you know, just just not a game that you really care about. Well, think about how many New England Patriots fans when they drafted Nikhil Harry out of <laughs> yeah Arizona State were like, oh, I watched that dude at two in the morning. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. That was my experience. Exactly. But so before before we get going, I know you wanted to hit on something. You have a theory uh, on on college football and, and just kind of just, you know, a way to make it more entertaining, maybe the whole even world. So I'm just going to get out of the way, give you the floor to, 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 to lay out this groundbreaking potentially theory. Well, I appreciate that, Dave. And, and I think that it's just been 
you know, obviously we're recording this on Monday. Tomorrow is uh, election day, and it's just really stressful, I think, for people. It's such an important election. I mean, all elections are so vital. And um, I, I was just thinking as we've been doing these, you know, watching college football and talking about college football, I was just thinking that college football offers a lot of ways that I think would just make this presidential election a lot more palatable for the general public. Um, so I'm going to throw a couple ideas out there and I want you to tell me if you think we as a country would be better or worse for, for having these ideas. Okay. Um, so my first idea is that, um, all the candidates should have to compete in the NFL combine. I think that instead of, um, (laughs) talking about like whether something is true or, or just fake, fake news, we should talk about, you know, Biden running like a six three forty, and Trump do only doing you know seven reps on the bench press, whatever. And but but the actual valid thing is like I would love to see the wonderlick. I want to see the wonderlick results, um, and then I want to compare it against like uh, you know the the quarterbacks in the draft, and then we can really determine who should be leading the free world. George Bush. Better, what do you think? Bush got a six. Obama got like a four, like a forty. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, I, I, I think that would be fun. I think that would be really good. I'm in favor of the Wonderlick. I don't think, especially with the, the candidates that we've had, a lot of old people running. We don't need to see them. You know, George, uh, not, not George. We don't need to see President Trump or Vice President Biden in their compression shorts running the 40. Though it would be a good chance for Trump to prove that he is the healthiest president ever if he just crushes the combine. There you go. All right. (laughs) Idea number two. Um, I feel like the debates have just been so hard to watch that I think each presidential candidate should have to choose a power five college football coach to stand in for them and represent their platform. And I think I would love to see, you know, Ed Orgeron lecturing Nick Saban on on, you know, why the Green New Deal or the Paris Accord is a good or bad idea. Um, Would that make our election better or worse? This is much better than your first idea, and okay. I kind of like it. I kind of it's it's what, what you're basically saying is an official spokesman for the campaign. That's not whether they're official campaign spokesman or spokeswoman, but it's a college football coach because they know how to stay on message really, yeah. really well. Coach talk is basically politician talk, which is you get a question and you just pivot to what you want to talk about anyway. I think it could be really interesting. Uh, to have Coach O and Saban do that because one, you can't really understand what Coach O is saying, and but I also think it could be really interesting. You know, we're going to get into this later, but like Dan Mullen would be the perfect Trump guy to talk about the coronavirus, and for Vice President Biden, you know, Lincoln Rye has been really impressive on on all this stuff. I think it'd be interesting to you know have Lincoln Rye to start talking about how Fauci this, Fauci that. You know, he's he's the leader of of the program and and this is how you build a program. I mean, I think that would be really, really uh, interesting. All right, cool. All right, good. So there's been a lot of debate um, about the electoral college versus the popular vote. What if we get rid of them all and just have the AP poll decide? uh, (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm more, you know, that, that still gives too much power to a select group of people that okay, the, okay. the AP voters. Uh, I think, you know, the electoral college has its flaws, but it's 
you know, it's only been wrong a handful of times throughout our history. It's done a pretty good job through the 250 years of American history. Uh, maybe we just get a, a committee like the college football playoff or the March Madness. Oh, interesting. Of, interesting. Because oh. it feels like for March Madness, they do a much better job at picking teams uh, from, from around the country, valuing mid-major teams, high-major teams, teams in the middle. They, they know how to properly value conferences sometimes. Uh, I think a committee like that, especially because we have 50 states, so many different interests. If you had a 50-person uh, campaign or a 25-person uh, committee to to hand out the electoral votes, I, I think that could be an interesting system. Uh, and maybe even like a bracket. Oh, uh, you have like Nikki Haley against Ted Cruz in the Republican primary. Yeah. People are seating it. Uh, interesting. Okay. You All just right. do like a bunch of elections during the primary season instead of just because if you think about Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, ne- sorry, Nevada for all the people out there, it's <laughs> they have so much more weight because they're early on, right? We do have Super Tuesday and everything, but but if it's truly like a national, all right, well, Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg were both the moderate candidates. All right, well, Biden Buttigieg is the first bracket. I think that could be interesting. Okay. All right. I like where we're working with this. All right. I think that um, one. I think that uh, like a, a big swing state like Florida should donate one of their electoral college votes, um, and the president presidential candidate who um, votes for uh, who will be leading the Heisman race going in the weekend going into election day should get an automatic electoral vote to start the day. So I'm I'm confused. So you, so the so the candidate says Trevor Lawrence is going to win the Heisman and they're going to get one vote this year like what? Like how would that yeah, work? Yeah, yeah, so like I think they each have to pick a Heisman candidate. Uh-huh. Maybe we say, you know, maybe we make rules like no quarterbacks or something. Okay. And they each have to pick a candidate and let's say like Biden says Travis Etienne and Trump says uh, like Devonte Smith or Jalen Waddle from Alabama. And then whoever is ahead in the Vegas um, Heisman markets following this weekend going into uh, election weekend should just start with one electoral vote already on their map. I think this one needs a little more time in the oven to fully develop. Okay. Okay. All right. How about this? Each candidate, I think I think they should recruit our votes, and I think each candidate should have to go on an official visit that is live streamed. Um, you know how like Ed Orgeron talks about how he has you know these coaches like go into people's homes and eat the mother's food, and sometimes it's not very good. Uh-huh. I think we should see each of them do an at home visit um, and live stream that. You know, I don't hate this one. They already kind of are recruiting voters, but. And they do go into people's homes, but usually it's for, you know, uh, fundraising. Th- th- those things are probably catered, not really home-cooked. I think there's a security risk there. We have to have a lot of Secret Service involved to make sure, you know, that the food doesn't make a candidate sick. Because uh, that could be a big issue. Uh, we don't need, you know, the president at a big state meeting with with, with an ambassador from someone, you know, throwing up. Uh because of a bad reaction to some to some dish, this one, this one I think uh, 
has potential. Okay, and my last idea, and I think my best idea, is that when the results of the election are determined, um, I don't think they should announce it on TV. I think that there should be like a recruitment commitment ceremony where they where someone sits in front of a table with two hats and they put on the hat of the winning president. <laughs> that one that one actually would make the viewing experience a lot better that when CNN or CBS, Fox, ABC, whoever when they say all right, we're calling, you know, Connecticut's going to go blue tomorrow most likely instead of just saying we project Connecticut's and their however many electoral votes goes to Vice President Joe Biden, they should pan to their solicitor general or whoever's in charge of the election there, and they should have to stand up and, and as you say, either put on a blue hat, a red hat, make some make some kind of statement. People, oh, yeah. people can get creative. For the, for the next three to five years, I'm committing to the president of the United States as yes, yeah, love it. We need hat ceremonies for presidents. See that one, I think, could make the because that's you know if if you want to get young people to vote. And that's a passion cause of mine. Uh, you know, make it more entertaining. Put it on Twitch. It doesn't just have to be on TV. It could be on Twitch, YouTube, uh, TikTok. You can make like an eight-second TikTok video. Uh, that one has a lot of potential. All right. That's what I got, man. That That's my thoughts going in. I, I voted a long time ago. Yep. I, I sent in my ballot. So I've, I've been voting. I've just been waiting now. And, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's just... It's uh, one of those things that we're just kind of waiting and seeing. So I was thinking we could spice it up a little bit. Um, well, know, I, hey, well, I maybe, couldn't think of a better way to start the podcast. Tremendous ideas they can tweet at you at, at Double Double. 100%. Um, this, this was a great way to start the podcast. Obviously, you know, the election's tomorrow. We're gonna, this will be released Tuesday morning. If you haven't voted, please vote. It's, you know such an important, it's our civic duty, it's our civic right. Just think about how many people in our nation's history who have fought and died for the right to vote. Uh, and it really puts it into perspective if, if you choose not to vote, just how many of our ancestors really just went to war and did everything that they did to, to protect the right to vote. So that's my soapbox on voting for, for today. To the college football action, something that... College football is the most uncertain sport probably of them all right college football chaos they're like synonymous with each other add in the coronavirus global pandemic and you get even more uncertainty every week because we're going to sit here and we're going to talk about some games coming up this this weekend but after recording this on monday afternoon november 2nd the potentially none of these games could be played if there's a coronavirus outbreak on any of these teams and so as a viewer, how is that, and a consumer of college football, how is that affecting your enjoyment of the season when games get postponed, guys are out, you know, you never feel like you got your schedule locked in until you're sitting down on Saturday morning? You know, I think it's so interesting and, and it's a little nerve wracking, Dave. And, you know, to go back to when you had me on the pod to talk about the NBA playoffs and we were talking about how it's just such a wonky year and anything can happen and it um, makes it really exciting. But at the same time, you know, if you're a Clemson fan and you see Trevor Lawrence is out these two games, you know, that's not exciting. That's petrifying. Now we'll talk about, you know, replacements and next man up and all that stuff later, I'm sure. But I think that it's, 
it's good for the parity of the sport. It's not good for teams that are building something. You know, Wisconsin, I know we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on. They were feeling unbelievable. Graham Mertz, you know, they were already putting in their Heisman ballots. Now right. all of a sudden, their momentum stalled. Obviously, Clemson with the, the scary first half against BC. I'm sitting here as an Ohio State fan, and, you know, thank God Justin Fields is all online classes and is pretty much isolating. What, what happened if Justin Fields gets hurt? You know, we're in trouble. But then the other side of it is Penn State fans are, are furious right now. Listen, I've been to the last two. I've been in person at the last two Ohio State at Penn State games before this Saturday in 2016 and 2018. And obviously Penn State won on a crazy game in 16 and Ohio State won in a great comeback in 2018. And I can tell you the atmosphere just watching it on TV was not even close on Saturday. And it really benefited Ohio State. I think Ohio State was the better team anyway and would have mm-hmm. ended up winning that game. But just the level of comfort they had in in what would have been the student section end zone, just the level of comfort zone they had, snap counts and calls and communication, it makes a big difference. I don't think Ohio State would have – look, I think they actually played better than the score showed in that game. I think they were you know, 30, 35 points better instead of whatever they were, 18 points better. But my point being that that score would have been a lot closer. That game would have been a lot closer if there were fans. And one hundred percent, Dan Mullen, right? He said that after um, who they lose to early in the year, A and M. Yeah, and and he said the fans made a difference. And then he asked for the fans to be there for the Georgia game or, or whatever game they had next. And obviously that didn't work because they had an outbreak and the game got canceled. But um, uh, I think the fans make an enormous difference. The fans make a huge, huge difference. You are 100% correct about this. But it also, from a viewing experience, and I'll speak because Clemson has been on TV a lot in my house just because Trevor Lawrence is so good. I'm a fan of the New York Giants. It's like we may actually get a chance to draft him. But also they've they played some pretty interesting matchups. They seem like they have it together in the stands. It's instead of like the bleacher seating, they put down seat backs to make sure that it's, you know, your pot sits here so it spreads people out. But some stadiums just seem like it has way too many people. Uh, some stadiums, it feels like they do a great job. It feels like the camera crews are like trying to do like, inst- you know how they, when they go and like they look for like the stunned faces of the students after a big upset or like a big play? Yes, yes. It seems like they're just panning, trying to find people without masks on. Because it's like every time it pans into the stands, it's like Texas A&M, oh, here's four people in college station sitting together and oh they're not wearing masks we're just going to show them and it's just like it feels like as a viewer we're not getting a fair representation of the protocols of that's going on in the stands because some places look great and some camera angles it's like okay you can do this safely it's outdoors you're far away from each other wearing masks and then some camera angles show like there's way too many people here and it's interesting and, it, and it's interesting because it's really showing like kind of like in, in the NBA of who's actually really good and who benefits from the crowd. You're definitely right that Penn State benefits from 100,000 people all wearing white T-shirts for their night games. But it also shows like Ohio State is really, really, really good. 
and Justin yeah, Fields and I'm, is I'm really good. Yeah. Ohio State still would have won that game. One hundred percent. And I know we're going to talk about this later. This is the most talented Ohio State team since at least twenty fifteen, maybe before that. But it makes a huge difference. I, I just the comfort level of road teams. I, I think uh, you know you're 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 right, Dave. It does, and it also is the first thing that coaches are pointing to if their team doesn't play well, especially on the road. Is oh they had. 15% fan support and thus and they decided to put them close to us like Mullen yes Texas A&M had a larger fan base than the than Florida was allowing because you know the okay. governor is allowing different things as, as different states but like if like you lost because you didn't stop Kellen Mont you didn't lose because the you know the ROTC people at Texas A&M were allowed to go to the game so and, it, and it's so funny because coaches always talk about, like, we're not going to make excuses. We just didn't come up and play. But it's like all these guys, when when they lose on the road now, it's like, well, you know, they had fans. And the fans made a big difference. And if it was a normal season with no pandemic, Dan Mullen never would have said, oh, the fans were the reason why we lost the game. Or, like, you guys were number four in the country. Like, you guys were good. You lost to a pretty good Texas A&M team. Like, Stop making right. excuses. Everyone is dealing with this. You're not the only school that's going to have to play on the road with with a weird fan support. I'm with you. And, and you know, we were joking before about the college football playoff committee deciding other things. But let, let's just, in a hypothetical, what if Clemson, you know, had lost to BC and then just absolutely blitzes everyone else? Yeah. You know, how do you base the playoff based on okay but they clearly didn't have the best player in the country you know what if ohio state loses justin fields for a game god forbid knock on wood and you know that's the only game they lose they come back beat everyone else by 50 you know yeah. you're gonna keep them out of the playoffs like that's one thing that the, the committee's just gonna have to decide for themselves because they they've said i believe that they're gonna treat this like they would any type of injury which is if you know they're out they're out because everyone has has to deal with it but I'm looking at Wisconsin. They said they're going to know by tomorrow whether or not they can play this week against Purdue. Based on the number of positives that they had in the last week, it feels unlikely that they'll play that game. I could be I, I agree. I could be wrong, but this feels like an outbreak that's going to cost them two games the way that it did the Titans. If Wisconsin yeah, I, I agree. I'm skeptical, I'm skeptical how quickly they can get back as well. Especially because of all the quarterbacks and everything, but if Wisconsin is Four and zero, right? They lose these two games. If they go four and zero, five and zero, whatever, because the Big Ten also didn't uh, build in bye weeks to make to make up for these for for, for potential cancellations. If they're five and zero, and they are going into the the Big Ten playoff, right? Or if they don't qualify because they didn't have enough games to play, are they going to be treated the same from a playoff standpoint as? a Georgia who played all of their games but has one loss to Alabama. That's something that I think is to be seen of. How do you value these teams who don't play the same number of games? Because if Clemson loses, Trevor Lawrence, I believe, is their only positive test. If they lose to to Notre Dame or lost to BC because of him, but they had their whole other team healthy, is that different than Wisconsin who had like their whole team out that they had to cancel a game? Like It all feels so weird and don't know how to value because what college football wants at the end of this, and let's not you know, mess around and, and not talk about it. what they want, because it's the television product of on New Year's Day, 
they want the four best teams. They want Clemson, they want Alabama, they want Ohio State. And if they had to choose, they probably want Notre Dame because of the TV that Notre Dame brings in. Agreed. If they can get this whole thing is to try to get the, those four teams for New Year's Day. And I think that the playoff committee is recognizing that. Basically, the whole reason why we're doing this is the money aspect. They have to maximize the money opportunity on New Year's Day with the, with the, with the games. Like, There's a lot of really good non-Power 5 teams. I don't think they're going to get a chance, even if they deserve it. If Cincinnati's undefeated, they're probably not going to get in because they're like, look, Notre Dame is going to drive a bigger rating. And they're, you know, 10 and 1 in the ACC. Well, we also have to, you know, it's going to affect other things. Uh, I'm sure we'll touch on the Heisman later quickly, but, you know, our total counting stats versus per game average. Exactly. Ohio State's played two games. Uh, you know, like Clemson's played what six? Yeah. <laughs> so there's the biggest, and you know, we, we've mentioned it a, a couple times. Top four teams, the best player in the country, Trevor Lawrence, positive COVID test. He's out this week against Notre Dame. He missed the game against Boston College, a game they probably should have lost. They also struggled against Syracuse. The AC rules, to my understanding, coaches, is that it's ten days from your last positive test. So whenever he starts testing negative, that's like kind of when he could come back because if he tests positive, you know, if he gets another test today and he's still positive, it's like, it's like 10 days from now too, you know? Correct. And I believe what Dabo said um, in his post-game press conference after BC was that Lawrence is going to be out against Notre Dame because there are required um, cardiac screenings. Yeah, they, they expect to have those results back within those um, within that period. Which, again, I think it's definitely better to be safe than sorry, as opposed to you know the the Big Ten, like you mentioned, who just didn't build in these these things. And you know the twenty one day thing is very confusing. I don't understand how the ACC can have a ten day return to play protocol and the big 10 is a 21 day return to play protocol. Um, I'm all for being safe. Trust me. Yeah. I do not want anyone getting sick, um, you know, or risking anything, but it feels like either the ACC is being way too lax or the big 10 is being way too stringent. So we got to figure that out and, and probably have something more uniform amongst those, those power fives. But anyway, back to Trevor Lawrence specifically. Um, I just want to be very clear, David, um, DJ Uyunglele, I believe, I, I, I hope I didn't butcher that too badly, um, played really darn well. Yeah, um, he did. There's a reason he was the number one quarterback in the country coming out of you know, California. They weren't losing to BC because of Trevor Lawrence being not being there. Trevor Lawrence doesn't play defensive line and linebacker and, and cornerback. Like They were no. losing to BC because Phil Jerkovic and, and Phil Jerkovic and Zay Flowers at receiver were just absolutely torching them. Um, they were also running the ball really well. Boston College ran the ball better against Clemson absolutely. than any team I can remember except for LSU in the national championship game and like peak Alabama teams. They were and able to I, get chunk I, yards. And and I do think uh, James Skalski, the starting middle linebacker for mm-hmm. um, Clemson, was out. I'm not sure if that was COVID or a different injury, but my but I mean BC looked like they looked good. 
they looked unbelievable. They they looked unbelievable. Coach and, Halfley and from Ohio State. Uh, well, love me some Jeff Halfley. You know yeah. who loves Jeff Halfley? Friend of the podcast, Coach Billy Pataglia. Yep, loves him. Big Boston College fan right there. But they got to fix that defense, Dave. And, and we'll talk about the Notre Dame game coming up against them. But I'm not worried about their offense. I'm worried about their defense. The defense is an issue partially because I feel like they – more so than any college football team in the last few years, feel like they turn it on and off. You know, they have that yeah. on-off switch because the ACC is so top-heavy and the conference is so big that they aren't challenged every single week. They can play their B game against Boston College and come back and win a close game. They, that is true, and I know I'm contradicting yeah. myself here. But the other thing is, you know, seven of the points Boston College scored in that first half was a 98, 99-yard scoop and score fumble. Like, that's not on the defense. The defense played poorly, but the numbers, I think, looked worse than it did. And the defense did turn around in the second half and just make Phil Jerkovic look, frankly, silly and stifled that run game. So For sure. They also have— Thing. They've also had so much turnover with guys going to the NFL. Uh, the only constant has been Brent Venables, the defensive coordinator. But you know they're they're working things out. Like every team, they didn't have a full traditional summer training camp. Spring football got messed up because of COVID. They're working in a lot of new players, a lot of new guys. The play of the game against Boston College that everyone's talking about is when the announcer Joe Tessitore calls his uh, son for awesome. the hard count. An incredible play, but if I'm Dabo Sweeney or Brent Venables, I'm like, we're going on a hard count for the holder in a big, big spot. Like, like that play was awesome to watch and is why some people love college football. But that is also like the type of play where college football coaches or just college coaches in general must just like go craziest because they're like, I understand that you all want to kill this guy because he's the holder and you feel like it's just going to be like an insane Jadavion Clowney like highlight for you. But be disciplined and not jump off sides because I think BC scored on that drive. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right. Actually, yeah, they actually definitely did. That was the crazy um, bobbled catch in the end zone that put them up 18. And, and and I've been fortunate enough to interview some very successful coaches on this podcast outside of yourself. And you. one of the things that you know, Coach Pace, whether it's at Tufts or Coach Shivels at Bowdoin, a, a lot of people on the women's side is when they know that they're such highly so highly favored in a game they are able to stick with their principles and really just focus on doing the right things because it may not matter in that game but it's going to matter when they play someone who's at their level when 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 Clemson plays Notre Dame Alabama someone who can actually challenge them all these little things matter and look they've proven in the past that they have these scare games early on and it doesn't end up mattering. But sometimes it does when you feel like you don't know, are you getting the Clemson that's all in or the Clemson that is, you know, half in looking over for, for next week. I think they're just bored. Yeah. I I think that's part of it. And I think that, you know, the, the other thing is that sometimes even you know, I think when a team like Clemson gets bored, they can still smack around 
bad yeah. teams. And I, I think you just have to acknowledge that BC does have talent. Phil Dracovic was a high, high four-star recruit to Notre Dame before yeah. he transferred. You know, Zay Flowers might be the best skilled guy in the ACC outside of Travis Etienne. You know, I, I think that, you know, Tyler Vrabel is going to be an NFL offensive lineman. Like, that team doesn't have nearly the depth that Clemson does, but I think there's enough power there that a couple things makes, uh, you know, a couple explosive plays make sense. It's the consistent explosive plays that Clemson gave up that I think points to the boredom or, or lack of discipline or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, they, they clearly thought it was a BC team of old and not this new BC team under Coach Halfley with the new quarterback, Jerkovich, with, with their wide receivers now. BC's was always like a tough, hard-nosed defensive team under Coach Steve Adazio, but now they're they're more modern. They're 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 just better. And clearly, Clemson was like, we got Notre Dame next week. We always beat BC. You know, we're gonna beat them, and then we're gonna play Notre Dame. Here, here's a question though, Dave. Because it, listen, you're you're still a college athlete. Mm-hmm. You're a high level college athlete. Don't you think there should be a part of Clemson though that? The second Trevor Lawrence goes out, the other 114 guys on the roster, the other 84 scholarship guys are sitting there going, well, let's prove that we're more than just, you know, Trevor Lawrence and the tight sure. end. Like, we're, we're really darn talented, too. And, and that's sort of what I would be more disappointed to see if I was yeah. Clemson, that there was no, uh, you know, desire to prove themselves as this dominant force, which they, of course, could have done with yeah. ease. Yeah, that that is a great point, and and that's something that, you know, I I wasn't valuing as much, which is you know, like the Trevor Lawrence and the Lawrenceettes, the like it's everyone else had a chance to step up, and I thought Etienne's one of my favorite players to watch in college football. It was just a bad fumble at the goal line that turned into the touchdown, clearly because him and the him and the new quarterback just hadn't worked on that RPO enough to know, hey, I'm pulling it out, I'm giving it to you, you know, in that type of action, but. I, I agree that, that Clemson had – they left a lot to be desired. And so Agreed. flipping, you know, instead of, you know, going to our number two team, let's just flip right ahead. Let's go to Notre Dame. Yeah. Their matchup this week, Notre Dame led by Brian Kelly, who's been there, it feels like, longer than he's been there. I think he's been there about 10 years, I want to say, maybe a little longer. I, it feels like I he's been there for like, 20 years. This is like his 12th season. Yeah. I don't know. And to last that long at Notre Dame is really impressive. He made the BCS National Championship game where they lost to Alabama one year. I think that was 2013 when they had Manti Teo. And they obviously made the playoff two years ago with Ian Book where they got destroyed by Clemson. This team, led by Ian Book again, is not independent this year. Because of the coronavirus, all these schools were canceling their non-conference opponents, non-conference games. Notre Dame went from having their normal 12-game season to they were like, holy crap, we have five locked-in ACC games. Because everyone else but Notre Dame football is in the ACC, they joined the AC this year. So this is a conference game that matters for the conference standings. This game is at Notre Dame, 730, NBC this is a chance for Notre Dame to prove that they can compete with the top dogs and that they really, really are 
back top level college football where where they can compete with with Clemson. They get a they get lucky that no Trevor Lawrence, but DJ. Now this is my turn. DJ Oweagalele has a lot of skills, and he's like Lawrence. He's big. He can really throw. He's mobile as well. I'm just really excited for for this game. It's two quarterbacks. We got the senior and against the true freshman. There's just there's just a lot a lot of things in in this game that I'm really interested in. But but what are your general thoughts? I think that it's going to be a really fun game, but I think Notre Dame's in a bit of a no-win situation here yeah. in terms of the spin zone. Uh, you lose this game, then it's okay, same old Notre Dame, and that's actually what I expect to happen, frankly. I think Notre Dame's going to lose this game, and I think they're going to lose comfortably, um, or uncomfortably for them, comfortably for Clemson. But if they win this game, what's everyone going to say, Dave? They didn't have Trevor Lawrence. They didn't have Trevor Lawrence. Okay, now you got to prove it to us in the playoffs. So I, I just, I don't know. Notre Dame's in a no-win situation here. Um, not that I feel particularly bad for them. Um, they've built their own reputation on losing every you know, big <laughs> game ever. So, uh, again, I don't have a ton of sympathy there. But I think this is a, a, a pretty good Notre Dame team. Um, I think Ian Book's a very good quarterback. I think they have some... Uh, good weapons around him. I love that freshman running back. Was named uh, Chris Tyree. He is yeah. fun to watch. He is really fun to watch. Um, you know, and but the other thing I think is that the ACC played this totally wrong. Um, I think it will maybe looks good in the short term. Will help them get a couple viewers. But I think they should have told Notre Dame. You know, you're you're. SOL, you're having no football season if you don't agree to permanently join the ACC. I think that this was a chance to keep them in, uh, to really get them in. Um, There would have been some haggling and negotiations over TV contracts and all that stuff, but you can work that stuff out. I think this was the ACC's chance to really just bring them in. Um, And I actually was kind of hoping the Big Ten was going to do that, was going to say, come join us permanently, we'll give you a home. well, they make more sense geographically to be with the Big yes, Ten. Yes, ex- exactly. And I, I just think it would be really fun for the Big Ten um, to have them in. But I, I hate this whole independent Notre Dame thing. Um, make them join a conference. Someone should have held their feet to the fire. I like it. I mean, like, it's kind of fun because they play people in all these different conferences. They're either a good win every year or a bad loss, depending on how they're doing. Right. I like it. It is really interesting, though, when you look at now they're playing a pure ACC schedule, who they have left, right? They have, obviously, Clemson this week, Boston College, who they traditionally play every season, North Carolina, Syracuse, and then the postponed makeup game against Wake Forest when they had an outbreak because their team had an outbreak after defeating South Florida. Now, if they had to play Wake Forest down their quarterback, and if they were sitting here at five and one instead of six and zero, oh, I think it's completely different. So, are are they lucky that they had twenty people out with a you know very serious uh, virus? You know who knows. But this is, I think they're going to win those four games. North Carolina, I don't know what to make of them. They started off so well. I think they have a good quarterback, but like. Losing on the road to a one and four Virginia team doesn't make any sense. Losing to Florida State, who is rebuilding but still not very good, doesn't make any sense. Right. That's a 
that's a game they could lose. But Notre Dame, regardless of how this one goes, I think will have 10 wins going into the ACC championship game. And if they're 11-0, they beat Clemson, or 10-1, and they're going to have another chance at Clemson. This is game one in their series. And what's impressed me this season has been their defense. They were able to control the line of scrimmage, which is a huge thing against Clemson and, and the top players. You know, they gave up 26 points to Florida State, but that that was like a weird-ish game coming off the, the COVID week. Their defense has been really, really good. Anyway. Yeah, but their defense has been really good, and I think that they can fluster the true freshman quarterback. At home, they'll have some fans there, but they'll. I think they have a chance to fluster it. Trevor Lawrence is not afraid of anybody. I think DJ Oweagalele, this is his first real test, and we just don't know. That's why I think Notre Dame, I think this will be a one-possession game, and I think Notre Dame is going to win because I think that their defense is good enough to, to compete this year, and they can run the ball. And if proven if BC can run the ball against Clemson, I would bet Notre Dame has can run the ball as well. Wow. So I was actually going to say, I think Clemson's a five-point favorite on the road. Uh-huh. You're saying Notre Dame's going to win outright. It's now or never, right? Like They're probably not going to beat them in the AC Championship if, if they have Lawrence back. And... Yeah, I, I mean, DJ Uyunglele, Uyunglele uh, is now in his second game. He really settled in in that second half. The defense is now, you know, ha- has a fire lit under them. Lay the five points here. Um, this is, I, I think, Clemson wins this comfortably. Interesting, interesting. Well, this is the great part about college football is, look, you have these great matchups, matchups you don't n- normally get. And the best part is we could spend, you know, we just spent 15 minutes talking about Clemson, Notre Dame. This game may not even happen because who knows? This is 2020, right? Like, like who knows if this game comes off? Crazy. Uh, but look, when it comes down to, I think it's now or never, Notre Dame will eventually have to win one of these games. They're, they're like Kirk Cousins. Eventually, he's going to play well in a primetime game. And he did last, last season and, and he has so far th- this year. Eventually, they're going to win one of these games. Without Trevor Lawrence, I feel like it has to be this week. Otherwise, I'm just we're just going to stop talking about them for the rest of their season. Well, get ready to take them off the uh, <laughs> off the uh, topic list. All right, quickly now before we get to your team, Alabama. So obviously, Tua Tagovailoa is now the starting quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, the best quarterback they've probably ever had. Well. Mac Jones has come in. He got some extended playing time last year after Tua's injury. Played pretty well last year with pretty low expectations. Comes in this year, and this dude is balling. Like, I know that they have a good offensive line, very good offensive line. Najee Harris is an elite running back. They still have awesome wide receivers. But Mac Jones is Mac Jones is living up to the hype. We're, we're not saying... We're not being able to poke any holes in this Alabama team. This dude, he played well against Georgia. He's played well against everybody else. He, they're putting up points on these bad SEC teams, which is what great teams do. They destroy their inferior competition. I've really come to enjoy watching Mac Jones play football. It's actually really fun because, and it's not really fair to him that we just assume he's going to be the next, you know, Greg McElroy. Yeah. Uh, 
game manager, but my man Mac Jones with Trevor Lawrence out again next week has now moved to the front of the Vegas odds. He has the best, or he has the the shortest odds to win the Heisman right now. He is the favorite in most Vegas books, and that's kind of crazy. When just because just when you think about it, it's like Mac Jones is the favorite. People, he's completing seventy eight and a half percent of his passes. <laughs> He's thrown for over 2,100 yards, 16 touchdowns, two interceptions, you know, and he's added one on the ground as, as well. But he's putting up these numbers in the SEC. And I know that, you know, the, the part I want to touch on is the SEC definitely has evolved, right? They are no longer just playing 1965 football of war of attrition, all, all the running. It's now a modern league led in part by Alabama just fully, fully embracing modern football. But they put up 52 on Texas A&M, 63 at Ole Miss in a shootout. They put up 41 on Georgia in that awesome, awesome, awesome defense led by Kirby Smart. 48 on Tennessee. They just blanketed Mississippi State with 41. I mean, what more do you want them or want him to do? Like, they're slinging the ball all over the field. They're running the ball on anybody. Like, this team is insanely good. Like, the, like the only thing that could bring them down is, or what we thought, was a false positive COVID test for Coach Saban before the Georgia game. Right. I think the only thing left for Mac Jones to do is um, bring, like, a Miss USA contestant uh, to the game with him, like A.J. McCarron did, and distract yeah. Brenton. Burger. Better. I, I actually don't think there's anything else he can do. He's been unbelievable. That that old Miss game you referenced was maybe one of my favorite games to watch all year. That Great game. Great game. And actually, the best thing that's happened to Mac Jones is that the defense has been like just okay. Yeah. Because he's getting the ball more now. Yeah. <laughs> and they're able to throw it in the second half instead of just having to run out the clock. So. Uh, I do think if they're going to win a national championship, they can't ever have a performance like they did against Ole Miss on the defensive side. But, mm. my God, this Alabama offense makes no sense. That was also, I feel like, and people talked about it in the day after the game, Lane Kiffin obviously worked for Saban. Yeah. I think Lane Kiffin knew some things. Saban and the and, and the defense coordinator were like, they were, it was like they were playing the Houston Astros. They were like, they know all of our signs. Like, like <laughs> and... And also, unlike baseball, everyone has like little things. They can't just completely change the signs during the game because these dudes are carrying huge cardboard cutouts. Like those things mean one thing, you know. <laughs> like right, 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 right. They just can't just like make new cardboard things. Although Alabama probably could. They, it that one just felt like a weird Lane Kiffin against his former coat of uh, former boss was just like I'm just going to pull out all the dirty little secrets that that I remember. I know every sign. I know every play that that they can't do. And even with them knowing everything, they still scored 63 points. I would say they couldn't stop them defensively. Yeah. And mainly when you have a dude like Najee Harris, who I was going to say, if he's not a first-round pick, whoever takes him in the second or third round, that, that GM's going to win GM of the Year award because he is just so good. So yeah, good. He- He's unbelievable. I think he was the number one running back in the country when he came out. Yeah. And curiously, for someone as talented as him, I believe he's a fourth-year senior. I think um, so, too. Which is certainly 
odd. Obviously, we could have talked about that with Travis Etienne as well. Um, the thing about Mac Jones, though, and I don't discredit him for this, is he just has so many weapons around him. Yeah, uh, You have to plan for Najee Harris. When Najee Harris comes out of the game, I mean, uh, what's the back running back's name? Montgomery or whatever? Like he, Robinson, he, he, yeah. Robinson, Robinson, sorry. He, he's awesome, too. I mean, they lost maybe the best receiver in the country to a broken ankle, Jalen Waddell. Yeah. And they still have... Devonta Smith, John Mechie. John Mechie. You know, the the tight end was, was making plays for them. I mean, they're just absolutely loaded. And give credit to Mac Jones. He somehow managed to keep every single one of those dudes happy. And also just... Just think about this. So they're six and zero. Their kicker, Will Reichard, has made thirty-seven extra points this year. He's thirty-seven for thirty-seven. They've scored wow. thirty-seven touchdowns in, in six games. Like they're doing everything on the defensive side of the ball. I think they're gonna they're gonna get back to being the traditional Alabama team. Dylan Moses, who's coming off a bad injury last year, I believe it was his ACL. You know, no spring, no summer. This is a program that has like how many guys go go to the NFL every year or just graduate on the defense, like six to ten. They're yeah. gonna more more and more reps coming in. Dylan Moses back. This dude has had fifty tackles in six games. Like, come on, that's just absurd. <laughs> that, that is crazy. <laughs> but but it's also like you know they the defense looked good against Barrett and and Georgia, but like you know the the pass happy air raid team offenses are sometimes difficult to stop, but I thought they did a pretty good job against Kellen Mond. You know, side note, Texas A&M, they get so much love, and then when they play against someone good, it's just Kellen Mond's just not a good enough thrower. I think he's a talented player. He's a very good runner, big physical guy, but in the in the windows that you have to throw into in the SEC, he just, he just can't hit it, right? Like, Right, it worked against Florida. It doesn't work against Alabama. Right, so that's my side tangent on A&M. Uh, this team's going to be 10-0 and because they're going to beat LSU because LSU's not very good this year. They're going to crush Kentucky. Auburn, who knows? 2020 would would be the year that this is, ends in like an 80-80 tie. Right. <laughs> uh, and then they're going to crush Arkansas. So this team's going to be 10-0 and or 9-1 and going into Georgia probably for the SC Championship game as it always is. This is a playoff lock, and they're awesome. <laughs> like, And they'll probably face your team, the Ohio State Buckeyes. So in my notes... I have on the Buckeyes. Uh, set it up and get out of the way. So I'm going to get out of the way and let you talk about the Buckeyes. Well, they very. I know we've talked about Clemson. I know we've talked about Alabama. They might be the best team in the country. Um, and and I should actually go back and say, um, I think they are likely the best team in the country. Uh, they just haven't had as much of a chance to show it. Mm-hmm. They are absolutely loaded. I believe this is a team that only returned like eight starters from last year's team. They had some ridiculous number of dudes drafted. I mean, they've completely overhauled their offensive line, their receiving core. Their they lost their you know stud running back. They lost both of their cornerbacks in the first round of the draft. Their starting safety. Uh, Jordan Fuller, who I believe you became buddies with, you know, when you guys were both getting your hip repaired, is now a starting safety for the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, they've completely overhauled the starting lineup of this team, and they're just the real deal. Like, Justin Fields is the best quarterback in Ohio State history. 
Uh, I, I can say that pretty comfortably. Okay. Um, That's a serious claim, too. Yeah, I, yeah, he just, I, I mean, but he is, like, he's better than Troy Smith. And part of that is, you know, he has Ryan Day as his head coach as opposed to Jim Tressel. But um, I, Justin, Justin Fields is the best quarterback in Ohio State history. He very well might be the best quarterback in the country. No disrespect yeah. to Trevor Lawrence. Uh, or Mac Jones, but he very well might be the best quarterback in the country. He might end up being the number one overall pick in the draft. It's going to be a legitimate conversation and debate between him and Trevor Lawrence. Uh, it, it really will be. And Ohio State finally figured out how to run the ball yeah. and State, which they couldn't do against Nebraska. And, you know, they still have some flaws. They're secondary, like I mentioned, in their secondary, they lost Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett. They're starting cornerbacks to the first round of the draft. They still have to figure that out a little bit. But, I mean, and I know I'm being a little bit excuse-minded here, but if you look at that game against Penn State, which, by the way, they won comfortably, they missed two field goals within, what, 25 yards. They, The refs gave Penn State a free field goal at the end of the half because yeah. the guy on the clock fell asleep at, at Penn State and <laughs> got to start the clock. So they brought everyone back on the field and gave Penn State a free field goal. And as they were rallying Penn State, or quote-unquote rallying, uh, Jahan, uh, what was his name, Jahan Dotson had like two ridiculous catches. Yeah, that one-handed snag was absurd. But the one he caught for a touchdown was offensive pass interference. And, like, I'm not trying to be whiny, but my point is this Ohio State team has such a ridiculous margin for error that um, – like they just went into Penn State and made them look like it was, you know, they treated them like, uh, you know, UPenn instead of Penn State. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, what was the most impressive thing about it? So I was like, I was pumped up for this game. I was like, you know, Penn State has played Ohio State well. Sean Clifford's been there for a while. He's not a great, great thrower, but, you know, he can do different things. He could present some issues. James Franklin, I think, is a very good coach. This game was, it felt over in the first quarter this thing felt over it was within a couple drives justin fields ryan day and this whole ohio state team just came out and they just stepped on the throats of penn state and fields was not to sound hype not not to sound hyperbolic was extraordinary oh my god 28 for 34 318 four touchdowns averaging over nine yards an attempt I mean, more touchdowns than incompletions this year. His first two incompletions of the year, David, were passes in the end zone that hit his receiver's hands and were dropped in yeah. the end zone. <laughs> like, like, like he is, he is absurd. He, he is. I know you mentioned Mac Jones is the favorite for the Heisman and the betting odds, but only because Fields has only played two games. Yeah, but when you look at this Ohio State team and especially the games coming up, they have Rutgers, who they. Even though Rutgers is better, and Drew Greg Schiano's done a pretty good job this year, they always seem to lay 70 on them. Maryland, who is average. Indiana's a big game, but Illinois and Michigan State, like, Fields could have 20-ish touchdowns in those four games. Well, but at the same time, don't forget, Justin Fields last year, you know, Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins last year, I think, left you know, 
90% of their games midway through the third quarter. Yeah. He's he's my Heisman favorite, especially now that Lawrence is out for the indefinitely with the with with COVID. I as a New York Giants fan and you know just viewing this as who would I want my my team to draft? If we end up with the second pick because the Jets are that bad, and, which they are, unfortunately. Yeah. But <laughs> and and we end up with the "Quote unquote consolation prize of Justin Fields," I'm ecstatic. I'm like, we get Justin Fields, who was the number two quarterback in the country when Lawrence and Fields were high schoolers. Basically, at every quarterback camp, I think they did the Elite Eleven together, and with like the finals of the Elite Eleven came down to those two. Fields, like Fields won the Elite Eleven. Yeah, like there, that's something to watch and people will write about it and people will talk about it leading up to the draft is these dudes are both from Georgia. They, I don't think they ever played in high school against each other, but both from Georgia, same state, you know, Lawrence goes to Clemson fields, goes to Georgia, has to transfer because he can't beat out Jake Fromm because Jake Fromm took him to the national championship game the year before ends up at Ohio state gets immediate eligibility because apparently that's how all that works now. And just dominates, just dominates. Like Rutgers is better than they have been the last few years. It's not even going to be close. Rutgers on the road at, at Ohio State, not even going to be close. I think the line is like thirty-seven and a half. Or something. Yeah, like I could see Ohio State starting a little slow, just a letdown from Penn State. But Justin feels just he feels like like the Tim Tebow of I'm just not going to let this team lose in any way, or or and, and not even lose, but have even a chance of losing. Yeah, Justin Fields is not flawless. He no. hangs on the ball a little bit too long sometimes, trying to make perfect plays instead of just, you know, hitting quick reads. But, I mean, he's pretty gosh darn close. Um, th- these dudes in the quarterback room behind him, especially these two talented freshmen, Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud, like those are going to be really, really big shoes to step into next year. Um, but having said that, Justin Fields had to step in for Dwayne Haskins, who – was in the discussion for the greatest Ohio State quarterback of all time in the one year he played. Yeah, I mean, it's just—it's actually ridiculous that they're better than under Urban Meyer, which is crazy. And Urban completely revolutionized everything going on at Ohio State, right? He took mm. them from a really, really elite team under Jim Tressel to you know one of the two or three national brands in the country, and and so much of that was because of recruiting, right? Jim right. Tressel built his classes out of pretty much through Ohio and Urban Meyer's like, no, we're going to go national. Um, we're going to get the Bosa brothers out of Florida where, you know, we're going to do stuff like that. And Ryan day has now said, okay, we're going to continue the national approach. We're going to kill it in Ohio, which obviously they're doing. And, um, Oh yeah, we're going to kill it in the transfer portal. As right. Well. Yeah. So, and he's just revolutionized their offense in a really good way. Like Urban Meyer was a brilliant, brilliant coach. Ryan day is potentially even a better coach. I, I mean, and this is, coming from the biggest urban apologist out there, but (laughs) the most talented Ohio state team of, you know, the past decade or so was the 2015 team. Actually the one that did not win the national title. It was the one coming back um, from the national title year that ended up losing to Michigan state in that fluky game. And they didn't make the playoff. That was far and away the most talented Ohio state team um, that they had. This team might be more talented. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and it's crazy because the Big Ten, as we mentioned about Wisconsin, didn't build in any bye week. So, as you know, you're a fan. You're you're like I, I want every dude in one of those hamster bubble balls walking around <laughs> campus. Like 
because if if they get an outbreak, they could lose their chance for for the playoff, and and that's something that's that's super super serious. And you know, public health and health and safety comes first. But like Ohio State, you know, it it feels like them and Alabama, like the teams that have really feel like they have a chance to win the national championship, it feels like has done a better job managing the the COVID risk than others. Obviously, there's only so much you can do, but that's been impressive as, as well. The craziest, the other crazy part of this is while Alabama, Ohio State are battling for probably the best team in the country on the field right now, at least with Trevor Lawrence out, they also have the number one and two recruiting classes in the country for yeah. the class 21, and they're both favorites to add at least one, if not two more five stars to each program, and one of them, if not both of them, will break the modern internet recruiting record for best class of all time. That's crazy. Now... Speaking about recruiting, we're going to hit on this as a part of our before we talk about the other two games of the week. Texas is home to the best high school football probably in the whole country. It's debatable, but you know they have so many kids, so many schools. Sure. According to the football recruiting nerds on the internet, class of twenty twos, Quinn Ewers, 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 is the number one player in the country, and apparently is like the guy like yeah so he he's ridiculous i mean he's from south lake carroll which i'm yeah. pretty sure is where like drew Brees went and all those dudes went he's the real deal and he decommitted it, from texas i think this week or this or the week before he also is considering ohio state oklahoma alabama yeah. clemson like if, he, he's apparently he's multiple experts have put in crystal balls and uh, say Ohio State leads for him and he's mm. about to flip there. But in a lot of ways, he was what was keeping Tom Herman's seat safe. Yeah. Right. And now all of a sudden, the number one player in the country who also happens to be the number one quarterback in the country and, you know, goes to high school, however many, you know, less than a half hour from your campus, right. just decommitted. Well, you know. And they had a pretty good response to the decommitment and, and the concern about the hot seat. My favorite part of college football Twitter is whenever Texas wins, and especially when they win a big game, everyone They're says back. Texas is back. And I tweeted this on, on Saturday after they beat Oklahoma State in a great OT game. I tweeted in you know a quote tweet with the, with the score, Texas is back. And a couple people said some pretty hurtful things, not realizing that I was making fun of the Texas is back joke. Uh, <laughs> But is Texas back? Texas is back to being the same <laughs> Texas they've always been. Is Texas back to being Vince Young, Texas? No, no. I, they're, they're not. Like, they're just not that good. They're really talented, but they're just not that good. I think Tom Herman's a very, very good coach. I don't think he's a great coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Texas, is, Texas is back to being, you know, here's. No, Second so that, best team in the Big 12. Like. So here's my theory about them. So I think Coach Herman, even though I think he's a good coach, I don't think they are happy with how he's done. I think that they had much higher expectations for this year. I think they're going to let him go. Really? And I think Michigan, after especially losing to Michigan State, how many rivalry games can Jim Harbaugh lose before – for whatever reason, the people running that program and, run, and running that school get dissatisfied with nine to eleven win guaranteed seasons based on just the, the, 
the answer is infinite. Jim Harbaugh will be there forever. And as I suggested off air, I hope he stays there forever. I hope he brings back Rich Rod as his offensive coordinator <laughs> and Rick Polk as his defensive coordinator. And I hope Jim Harbaugh gets a lifetime appointment. Hear me out. If he leaves if you're Michigan. you say that Tom Herman is going to take the Michigan job. No, 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 no. I'm saying Jim Harbaugh is taking the Texas job. That's interesting. I think it's more likely Harbaugh goes back to the NFL for a couple of years. Um, I think he's just one of those dudes who's going to keep kind of going back and forth. Um, I don't think he's. I, I don't think he's going to get let go. I don't think Tom Herman's going to get let go unless they, you know, lose a couple bad ones towards the end of the season. Okay. Um, I, I'm not sure if Harbaugh fits at Texas, and I'll tell you why. Harbaugh just one. I don't think he has a lot of natural recruiting ties down there. Um, and two, you know, Michigan's got like the number seven or number eight class in the country, but he's not winning national recruiting battles. He's not ruthless in that sense. I, I just don't think it's a fit. But doesn't, but doesn't Michigan, a fit. but doesn't Michigan have a slight academic standard above some, some other schools? Like he can't really go after everyone and can't get everyone in Texas. I just hey, think, I, Dave. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ruin the, uh, I'm gonna ruin the, uh, whatever veil of purity you have. <laughs> like, if Jim Harbaugh wants a football player, that football player is getting into Michigan. Sorry, it's not Harvard. It's not Stanford. Right, right, right. Of course, like there's a, but, but it is an excellent academic school. But if you look at the schools that are actually having to do that, you're talking about Stanford, you're talking about Northwestern, Notre Dame, maybe Vanderbilt. Right. It's not like warm bodies at other schools. Don't get me wrong. Michigan's not looking for dudes who can, you know, you know, write their name on the SAT. But like they're putting out offers to plenty of people. They're competing against plenty of, you know, they're picking up Florida decommits. Yeah. a big Florida State decommitment the other day. Like that kid wasn't down to Stanford. <laughs> you know, right, not right. To say he, he's not academically strong. I'm just saying they got a lot of Harbaugh has plenty of wiggle room. That's not a problem. okay. I I also think just maybe people in Texas are so football crazy that they'll take his quirks and idiosyncrasies and just crazy things he does a little better than people in the north so maybe that could help him as well and and they have unlimited resources they will throw unlimited resources at their coach at whatever it takes to win and harbaugh has proven that like worst case scenario you're gonna win nine games i'll tell you who they should hire the home run no-brainer is urban meyer is who mario cristobal okay out at Oregon. He is absolutely changing the way they recruit. I, I mean, under Chip Kelly, they they ever had a top 10 class in the country. Like, they have plenty of talent, but Mario Cristobal has, like, the number three or four class in the country right now. He's absolutely just running through the Pac-12 with, you know, with no remorse right now recruiting-wise. He's just raiding California. Um, he's the guy, in my Interesting, opinion. interesting. Because everyone's going to say Urban Meyer. Uh, yeah, I don't see Urban coming back for that. Like, I think yeah. the only job Urban would come back for is Notre Dame and maybe USC. 
Interesting. That one. That one's really interesting. Speaking of of Oregon, you want to hit on the Pac-12 at all? They're coming back this week for. I don't even know how many games playing. Seven ish, six or seven. Oregon probably is going to run through that conference, but as we've proven, you know, with such a crazy offseason, no one knows what the first couple right. weeks are going to look like. I don't think they're going to make the playoff any team just because they don't. They, they will not have played enough games, but Oregon, Oregon's always interesting. Yeah, Oregon is really interesting, and and part of it's because of what. Chris Doble's brought in there talent-wise. You know, they have the best offensive lineman in the country, Panay Sewell. Yep. Um, they're receiving, uh, their receivers that they brought in over the past couple classes are really impressive. I'm curious to see what's going to happen at quarterback there. Um, they had a kid who was ready to step in, but then they also got the grad transfer from Boston College, who just mm-hmm. adds a little bit of a different dimension. So I don't think he's going to start right away. Um I'm spacing on the name of the kid who, who's expected to spy. I want to say it's like Tyler Skaw or something like that. I probably completely just made that up. Um, let's see. Oregon starting quarterback. Thank God for Google. <laughs> it's, it's Tyler Shaw. Shaw, yeah. F-A-O-U-G-H. Whatever. I put a K or a C in there. Forgive me. Um, you know, it, that's what's so interesting, right? Like the best teams in the country, we talk about Trevor Lawrence at Clemson, Mac Jones at Alabama, Justin Fields, and then how good Ian Book's been for Notre Dame. Oregon's going to go as their quarterback goes in a lot of ways. So it'll be really interesting to see because they don't have a big-time uh, you know, guy like they did last year in Justin Herbert. I want to shout out a couple other teams. The first one with another really good quarterback who may – in the in that third to fourth best quarterback in the country behind Fields and Lawrence, BYU Zach Wilson. They are seven and zero in the top ten. He's completing seventy five percent of his passes, over twenty one hundred yards, nineteen touchdowns, two interceptions. He's also added one hundred fifty on the ground and seven touchdowns there. They are a lot of fun to watch. They are really, really, really good. And Zach Wilson could be a factor in the NFL draft, but also a factor this year. They play at Boise State on Friday night, 945, Fox Sports 1. That is my number two game of the week, a game I will definitely be watching and paying attention to. The mid-major battle there. I'm really excited. Zach Wilson's really good. I like this BYU team. Uh, They're just really fun to watch. They've been the, the last... You know, three weeks they've been hammering teams. Uh, Houston, they crushed Texas State, Western Kentucky, Troy. They annihilated Navy. Their game against Army did get postponed. That would have been a good, fun matchup. Uh, but I'm really excited for this game against Boise State. BYU is a lot of fun to watch. Their offense is really impressive. Wilson's actually not a bad shout for a yeah. high long shot, especially when you're talking about who the heck knows what can happen with COVID. Right. Uh, he, he's, you know, absolutely torching people Boise State's interesting Boise State's really really good right but Mm. Hank Bachmeyer who's an absolutely tremendous sophomore quarterback missed the game last week um for no reason or or for no reason released yeah they didn't have anything to do with an injury didn't say if it had anything to do with COVID didn't say if it had anything to do with suspension now they have Jack Sears the former you know high four-star USC recruit uh who transferred in and took pretty good care of them as they won on Saturday, but um, if Bachmeyer's not back, this is not the best version of Boise State. And I, I want to see Boise State at their peak versus this BYU team that's absolutely rolling, because that could be um, 
some Friday night uh, explosions. I, I, what, what? Fireworks, baby, fireworks. Fireworks, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Oh, gosh, that's terrible. How uncreative of me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's going to be really exciting. And these are, these are always like those sneaky, really good matchups uh, because these guys want, you know, it's, they know that they have to be undefeated for a chance at the playoff. BYU's 8-0, 9-0, 10-0. They, they'll have a sneaky chance the way that Cincinnati is to be in a position if chaos ensues like it does every year in college football. Uh, they can be there. The last team I want to shout before we preview. Dave, let me just oh, yeah. quickly hop in to say to you, um, I love Cincinnati. I think they're really fun to watch. I think they're tough. I think they're rugged. I think Luke Fickle has done an unbelievable job of bringing that like Ohio ruggedness and toughness and Midwest yep. kick to them. They're recruiting at a high level. Um, uh, are, who's the best group of five team in the country? I want to say Cincinnati looked really good against Memphis, and that's a team that has been very good in the American. They crushed them. Part of me just wants to say BYU because they've played the most games, I think, because at, at seven. Uh my favorite team to watch has been Coastal Carolina of, of the non-Power 5 because I love their quarterback. Grayson uh, McCall has just been incredible, and I love watching him play. But of the non-Power 5, it's, I mean, I mean like it's, it's so tough because you, know, you, you want to say Boise, but they've only played two games. Cincinnati's 5-0, and but BYU's played seven games. Like It's just so hard this year. Marshall's 5-0 and too, like... I mean, yeah, I think it's Cincinnati, but I mean, that's my bias coming in because yeah. I like what Coach Fickle's doing there. Yeah, Coastal Carolina. If, if people haven't seen Coastal Carolina, their quarterback is really good. Like he's at fifteen touchdowns, you know, sixty-nine percent completion percentage, runs as well. Like he's just good. What, what is a Chanticleer? Chanticleer. Well, from their, I'm glad you asked, from their logo, a Chanticleer, I believe, if I had to guess, now, of course, you know, the webpage I'm, I'm, isn't I'm loading. I'm speak for the record. Yeah. Well, you're, you're going to beat me too because my webpage is not loading. Everyone, a podcast is live, so people recognize it's, <laughs> you know, technical difficulties <laughs> will ensue. This is great audio content, us Googling what is Chanticleer is. <laughs> we'll just we'll just edit it out. Uh, so it, the answer is that it comes from a nun's Can- priest tale. Yeah, it comes from uh, a Canterbury tale. A proud and fierce rooster who dominates the barnyard. Well, their logo does look very fearsome. And it does look like that could dominate any barnyard in the whole state of North Carolina. Uh, it's it's pretty cool. It's, it's pretty cool. They're they're fun to watch. They've they've had a lot of games on at like noon, so it's like the perfect timing and everything like that for people who are just sitting on the couch watching football all day, like both of us do. And they have a chance. You know, Appalachian State's pretty good. That's going to be a big game. But yeah. they have a chance to be 11-0 and going into their conference's championship. Fun fact. Fun fact while we're talking about the Chanticleers. Um, apparently, Coastal Carolina used to be a two-year branch of the University of South Carolina. South Carolina. And they, wanted, 
and they wanted a nickname that was closely related to the Gamecocks. Interesting. But it, so it resembles a Gamecock, but gives the university its own identity. Interesting, interesting. I think I slipped up. I think I said North Carolina instead of South Carolina. My apologies to everyone down, sure. down there. They really fun. Speaking of teams close to South Carolina, the last game of the week, Georgia, Florida. I'm going to do my mini monologue on Dan Mullen. Do it. Dude, <laughs> we're in a global <laughs> pandemic. I get that you lost to Texas A&M and you're frustrated about it and you wanted – Fans, you thought it had an impact. You want fans in, in, in your stadium. The, the one thing you have to know is karma is real. COVID listens. Apparently, it's a virus that has ears, and they can hear the people who are trashing it. And that's how, that's how it knows how to attack. So you're talking about, oh, I want the stadium to be full occupancy, 90,000 people this, 90,000 people that, blah, 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 blah. Day and a half later... COVID outbreak hits the team. You test positive for, for coronavirus. Dude, <laughs> you just brought it on yourself. Like, karma exists, m- my guy. Like, come on. And then there's a brawl at the halftime of their game. So their game against LSU gets postponed. They play – who who did they play last week during uh, the brawl? Was that Missouri? It was Yeah, it was Missouri. So, so, so they're playing that. There's a brawl that happens, you know, during halftime. He gets suspended $25,000 for instigating it somehow. And then on his way to the locker room, he's like pumping up the crowd like it's a WWE fight. <laughs> he go- goes to the tunnel, says he doesn't have a, you know, ah, uh, you know, wasn't enough. He comes back out of the tunnel and does some, some more trying to get the crowd fired up. Like, dude, you're not a I villain in WWE. Like, uh, the, the Stone Cold Steve Austin glass to break. I was surprised he kept his shirt on. Seriously, like, <laughs> so D- Dan Mullen is an entertaining character, but I'm not a fan. Uh, I think, I think he's kind of like, you know, I think he's just, I think he's just foolish in, in a lot of ways and he's entertaining for the Twitter clips. But if I'm a recruit seeing that or a recruit's family, I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's definitely a lot of questions there with Dan Mullen. Like you said, if you're a recruit, uh, especially the COVID thing, I think, you know, if you're a mother or a father and you're sending your kid off to play for someone, you want to feel like they're going to be safe. And I'm not sure if that moment makes you feel like Dan Mullen is the one who's going to look out for your son's health and safety. Right. But having to say that, I told you I'm an Urban Meyer apologist. Uh, I, I, you know, I think he's amazing. And Dan Mullen's an Urban Meyer guy, and I think that's what a lot of it is, frankly. Um, I think, you know, he was his offensive coordinator at Utah and and then at Florida when they were unbelievable before Mullen left to take the Mississippi State job. Mm -hmm. And Urban was known for just being absolutely ruthless and results-based and bottom-line business type of guy. And I think that's what Dan Mullen's trying to do. And he's just got to do a little bit better job being himself instead of trying to be urban because trying yeah. to be Urban Meyer is ended up doing these ridiculous things. Right. Um, and it's just maybe not as natural to him. That's my guess. I think he's trying to be a cutthroat bottom line business guy and he just doesn't do it as well as, you know, Urban Meyer, who might be what one of the three or four greatest college football coaches of all time. Yeah, they go to Georgia this week. Georgia's fair by four and a half. This is a lock. Georgia's going to win this game. Like, really? Yeah. Kirby Smart is going to eat Dan Mullen for breakfast. <laughs> Kirby Smart's so the second best coach a, in in the SEC. 
and maybe the like the third or fourth best coach in the country. Kirby Smart is awesome, but I, I'm just I'm not sold on the quarterback situation at Georgia, and I do think Kyle Trask is really quite good. He's pretty good, um, but at, their at, defense at is legit. And yeah. and they're not Alabama. They're Florida, you know. They're going to shoot themselves in the foot. That is very true. I think Georgia wins, but I don't think it's a stone cold lock like you like you said it. I think it's one of those things that Look, when you have a former walk-on as your quarterback, uh-huh. like, weird things can happen. Like Stetson Bennett the 4th is good, but he's not great. That's you know, fair. not that not that right. Kyle Trask is Tim Tebow, but right. You know, Kyle Trask is pretty good. He's a top 10 Heisman guy in the odds right now. Stetson Bennett the fourth is, you know, just a placeholder for this 2021 five-star commit, Vandegrift, that, that true, Georgia true. So I, I think quarterback play is just the ultimate variable in this thing. So I think Georgia should win and should win relatively easily, but quarterback play is the great equalizer sometimes. All right, Coach, as we wrap up the end here, we're getting to the 80-minute mark. None of the predictions are, are going to come true, but throw out your four playoff teams, and I'll throw out my four, and then we'll do Heisman, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. Yeah, I think it's um, uh, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, and um, oh geez, um, I think probably second SEC team. Um, you know, maybe maybe Georgia. But uh, I'm going to say Oregon. I'm going to say Oregon. I'm going to say okay. Oregon. I think Oregon runs the table and they put them in because the Pac-12 hasn't had a team in a while. Very interesting. I'll say Ohio State, Bama, Clemson. Those are like the locks, locks. You know what? Just just for fun and for, and for chaos purposes, I'll go BYU. Great quarterback. I like uh, Very good coach. West Coast-ish, you know. Uh, not all the way on the coast, but on the western part of the country. And Absolutely. gives them a chance. Everyone's been calling since the start of the college football playoff to put in a non-Power 5 team. And I, I just don't think that we're going to get Bama and Notre Dame potentially for the third, for, 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 for a potential third matchup, right? Like, because right. they're going to play right. twice. Yeah. I just don't think that they're going to do it like, for, for the third time. I think that's too much. And especially if Notre Dame loses this week, even though I don't think they will. Uh, so I'll say BYU and then for for the Heisman, uh, Justin Fields. I said it. The dude is insane. He's going to have huge, 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 huge numbers this, this year, assuming he stays healthy and the offense stays healthy. And I just think Mac Jones, it's just, it's just harder in the SEC to, to keep up the crazy stats week in, week out. Even though Joe Burrow did it, that's why he's Joe Burrow. Uh, right. I think there'll be one game where Mac Jones has like two interceptions to four touchdowns and Justin Fields is like six zero and everyone's like Justin Fields and it just becomes, you know, the the narrative, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. I think uh I think the um Justin Fields is, is gonna win the Heisman. Well, very exciting Heisman predictions there. Not going chalk at all. Uh, coach, appreciate you coming on. As always, college football is something that we share our, our, a love for. It's a great sport. Happy it's back. It's it's weird that it's back. With everything going on, but it's you know it's it's nice that it's back as well. 
Uh, appreciate you, you know, given time, 80 minutes, everyone's still listening to this at the end, you know, true college football fans like us, uh, who are sitting on the couch with three screens going, watching different games. Uh, it's just, it's just a lot of fun. So, uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for listening coach. Thanks for uh, taking the time. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. That'll do it for this episode of the double double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your podcast and you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back later this week. Until then, take care and make it a great day.